Good morning, Grace. Today's word is from the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verses 1 to 25. And if you want to use the Pew Bible, you can open it up to page 62. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, 
The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for strife. This is the word of the Lord. Ooh, it's getting real, isn't it? Yeah. Boy. We're in Exodus, obviously, Exodus 21. The title of our, <clears throat> our series is From Slavery to Glory. The Israelites have been brought out of slavery in Egypt, and God has brought them to Mount Sinai. And so, uh, in chapter 19, they make it to Mount Sinai, and, and we, when we did that sermon, we said, we're, we're here chronologically, they're there for the next year. In your Bible, they're there for the next 57 chapters. We've done a couple of those chapters, so 55 more chapters of, of sitting at the base of the mountain, hearing God speak, like we just, we just heard from this text. So this is from slavery and shame to glory, the glory of God at the mountain. The Apostle Paul will say in 2 Corinthians that the law came with glory. It was glorious. But he will also say that that glory is a fading glory and that the glory that we have in Christ is a perpetual glory and it's far more glorious than, than the law, than the Sinai law. And so uh, we, we continue to wrestle with what does that mean. When we hear this read, when we, when we read it, and, and, and rightly so, you might be reading this going, that does not sound very glorious. In fact, there's a lot of things in here that are disturbing to me. There's a lot of things in here that kind of push back at my sensibilities. Slavery, selling daughters, polygamy is referenced in here. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, all, all of that tends to rub us the wrong way, doesn't it? And there might be some of you in here this morning that have even wrestled with, can I even believe the Bible because of this kind of stuff that's in the Bible? A lot of, a lot of people would use Exodus 21 as their argument for why they're not a Christian. I can't be a Christian. I cannot serve a God who says these things and allows these things. Let me just say quickly, briefly, before we keep going, that the, you know, sort of the irony of that is the reason why you, if you're in here this morning and you are anti-slavery, and you should be, if you're in here this morning and you don't like misogyny, and you shouldn't, if you're in here this morning and you don't like revenge, eye for eye revenge, the reason why you believe all those things is because of this book. It's, it's because of Christianity and Jesus that the world even embraces a concept like, hey, let's not have slaves anymore. And so the same book that you're against, you're against it because of the, book, the same book. <laughs> and you have to understand that, that what's going on here is, is God 
progressively taking humanity closer, step by step, closer and closer, restoring step by step the image of God in humanity. And so, the Sinai law is not the fullness of glory for mankind. Christ in you is the fullness of glory for mankind. And so, if we start at the cross, if we start by looking at the cross and we let the cross tell us, yes, God is good, yes, God is just, yes, God is loving, and if we start there, if we put those glasses on, and then we go back into Exodus 21 and we start with a premise, can you start with the premise of God is good? And if God is good, then what he's saying here must be good. No doubt hard, and we're going to try to unpack it a little bit, but we have to trust that for this time and this place, it is good. What he's saying is good. Uh, the title of our sermon this morning is Restoring the Image of God, and we're going to talk about how the Sinai law partially restores the image of God, and then we'll, then we'll transition and we'll talk about how Jesus, Christ in us, restores fully the image of God in us. We said last week that the law does two things. It reveals God to us, and it restores man to the image of God. Those were two of the points we made last week. It reveals God. What is God like? And then it also seeks to restore mankind to, to the imago Dei. That's just a fancy way of saying image of God. So, in the garden, God made man, male and female, in his image to represent God in the world and to reveal God in the world. God's invisible. Because God's invisible, he made us as his picture, as, as the photograph of God, if you will. And so, that's what it means to be in the image of God, the imago Dei of God. We get to, we get to um, represent God through dominion and authority over creation, and we get to reveal God, His, His, His uh, communicable attributes like love and kindness and mercy and patience. When we, when we are doing those things, we are imaging God. God is restoring that through the law, through the law, this, this law. Really? Yes, this law. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to work our way through that. Last week we, we looked at the ten, last two weeks we looked at the Ten Commandments, and especially last week, the, those bottom six. And you may have noticed, as Sheila was reading, that the, what, what we have in these next several chapters is we have the Ten Commandments kind of blown up into case law, into case studies. So, honor your father and mother. Okay, what did we just read? If anybody strikes their mother or their father, right? That's bad. That's bad. <clears throat> Don't thou shalt not steal. We didn't we didn't read it, but in the next chapter, in chapter 22, all kinds of things to do. What do you do about thieves? What do you do with thieves? Thou shalt not kill. Don't kill. Okay. If anybody takes a person's life and it's planned, it's premeditated. Uh oh. You, yeah. If anybody um, hurts a pregnant woman and she loses her baby. Uh oh. Right. So these are what we're doing is we're taking the ten and we're blowing them up into the. Eventually it'll be six hundred, six hundred and thirteen to be exact. 
Okay? So all of that is happening here. All of that is happening here. So what's happening is the law, the law is reaching down to man. God's law is reaching down to man. Remember we said last week, God has a perfect law. God has a perfect law, which is eternal. The Sinai law is not eternal. And the Sinai law is condescending. It's coming down into into this time, this place. The Israelites at Sinai in 1500 BC. So it's coming down into that time and place in order to, into this fallen society of former slaves, and it's coming in there in order to suppress sin. It's going to suppress sin. It's going to limit the effects of sin through justice by imposing a just system, okay? So, keep in mind, this law is not God's perfection on display. That's Christ. That's Christ. This law, the Sinai law, will not do what only Christ can do. Keep that in mind. It's not meant to do what only Christ can do. Justice. Limiting sin through justice. What is justice? Justice is the idea of treating everyone equally, of taking those that are low and lifting them up. Okay? A just society helps the low and lifts them up. And, and, so, and sometimes it takes the high and brings them down, <laughs> right? It takes the high and brings them down. So that's what justice is in the eyes of God and hopefully in the eyes of human societies. Of course, obviously we get that wrong quite often. Okay, so point number one, God partially restored the image of God and man through His just laws. God partially restored the image of God and man through His just laws. Laws, And that's, that's what we just read. A, we read a bunch of them. Not all of them. We're going to keep going. And there's going to be, I'll reference maybe some of these laws in here that, that Sheila didn't read for us. God is justice. God is just. God is upright. Deuteronomy 32. This is one of literally dozens of scriptures that I could have picked that tell us that God is full of justice. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. He's a God of faithfulness. He doesn't sin. Just and upright is He. That's God. So again, we're starting with that premise. We're starting with a good God. Can you embrace that? That you have a good God here. Then God took Abraham and He brought Abraham out and He said, Abraham, you and your offspring are going to do justice. For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Genesis 18. Okay, so this is it. That's what's happening here. This is the children of Abraham learning how to do justice. So God is codifying, codifying justice for them. This is how you do it. This is, this is how you're going to be. This is how you're going to be righteous and just. So these laws reflect 
God's justice. So let's start, let's start looking through them and just point out a couple things. So in verses 2 through 6, slavery. God allows slavery? Yeah, He does. But did you, did you look closely at what's happening here? Clearly, clearly we can see that this is nowhere near the, the chattel slavery, uh, race-based chattel slavery of American history. It's, it doesn't even come close. That is an evil system, a wicked system that we must always, always condemn. It, this, this doesn't even come close to the Roman slavery of the New Testament. This is a system that is meant to take those that are slaves and lift them up into freedom. So at the seventh year, they're free. They're free. No questions asked. Time's up. Okay, bye. In Deuteronomy, it'll say, when you've set your slaves free in that seventh year, you give them seed, you give them money, you give them tools. You, you send them out with a care package, with a stimulus, with a stimulus package. And you say, here, go make a life. Notice that this slavery, this, this form of slavery does not break up families. If he comes in single, he goes out single. If he comes in married, he goes out married. It's upholding the image of God even for the lowest. It keeps the family intact. In fact, look at verse 5. The slave might even say, I love my master. I love my wife and my children. I will not go out free. And then we do this strange pierce their ear thing and drive, drive an all through their ear. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So this is clearly a different form of slavery than maybe what we're thinking of or <clears throat> reading about in American history. Justice is being upheld. By the way, there is nothing like this in the rest of antiquity. Hammurabi's code, Hittite codes, Assyrian codes do not have any, uh, they don't even come close to this form of slavery. Look at verse, look at verse 20, uh, 20 and 21. Slaves are avenged. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, and the slave dies, he or she shall be avenged. That's unheard. We didn't even have that in America. And we're the enlightened ones, right? Come on now. 26 and 27. We didn't read this out loud. If a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, or, and destroys it, the slave goes free. If he knocks, 27, if he knocks out the tooth of his slave, the slave goes free because of the tooth. That's unheard of. <laughs> there is no other system, slave system, recorded anywhere that has that kind of policy. If you hurt your slave, the slave goes free. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Okay, now let's talk about this selling our daughter's business. Verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. So this is the idea of selling your daughter so that she can be married. She'll either be, she'll be married to the man who buys her or she'll be given to the man's son, it says. 
So this is, this is selling my daughter at, uh, in order for her to be married. Here's one of the problems, by the way. I'll just, just a side note. Here's one of the problems. The word for slave in the Hebrew, abed, the, the word for slave is so broad um, that it, it's, it's like there's such a spectrum of its use. So the Hebrew, the Israelites were the abed of Pharaoh where they're being beaten and, and, you know, no, no straw for you, right? But also we are the abed of God. We are the servants of God. And so there's this wide spectrum of how the word is used that can include all these different levels of treatment or mistreatment. Okay, so here we have a daughter, and you say, well, that, that just sounds terrible. Who's going to sell their daughter so that she can be married? Well, in, a, in, a, in an ancient culture, if she's not married and her parents die, then she, has, she literally has no life. She has no income. That's why it says this husband must um, give her her marital rights. He must give her food and clothing and marital rights. He needs to produce an offspring with her that can take care of her and meet her needs. Notice, if her needs aren't met, she gets to go out freely. She can just leave. She can make the claim, I am being mistreated by my husband, therefore I have the right to leave this relationship. Wow, I mean, we haven't seen such liberal, I mean, those are liberal laws. <laughs> Our culture hasn't, didn't have laws like that until recently that allowed women the right to be able to leave abusive relationships. God is creating a system where there's not destitution, there's not homelessness, there's no homelessness in ancient Israel, there's, no gener there's not supposed to be generational poverty, there's not supposed to be perpetual debt slavery. And in fact, in fact, if you really look closely at these laws, they are meant they are meant to take people and bring them under a loving family, a loving household. Verse 5, I love my master. I love my master. Pierce my ear. <laughs> I'm staying. Thankfully, um, we don't have these problems today, do we? Come on now. <laughs> International Justice Mission, which I commend to you highly, they estimate that there are 50 million slaves in the world today more than at any other time in world history. One out of every four is a child. It's a $150 billion industry. Human trafficking takes the form of both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. 90% of human trafficking takes place in free market economies. Like America, we are a free market economy. It's happening right under our noses, in homes, in small businesses, in factories. Okay, so Christian, what do we do about this? And this is not, the, this is not meant to be the big point of my sermon, but Christian, if you love justice the way God loves justice, if we want what breaks God's heart to break our hearts, we have to consider on a very base level, where are our products coming from? Where did this product come from? Christians should be thinking about that. Who made this product? What am I wearing? What am I shopping for? And that's, that's just base level. And let me just say this also. 
If you, if you hate slavery, if you hate human trafficking, I plead with you this morning to stop using pornography. Stop. If you, if you need another reason, I can give you a thousand reasons to quit porn today. The, the number one being, love Jesus. Let Jesus be your greatest good. But if you need another reason, if you need a tangible reason, the connection between human slavery and pornography is gut-wrenching. It's nauseating. There is, there, there, it is not harmless. It is not harmless to our hearts, and it is not harmless to literally thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of especially children and young women around the world. There are lots of other examples in this text of justice, of the Imago Dei being restored. Look at verses 12 through 14. Premeditated murder, punishable by death. Verses 12 through 14, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. 14, if he willfully attacks by cunning. Verses 15 and 17, attacking your parents. This is justice. This is upholding the Imago Dei. The, uh, the idea behind attacking your parents is a, vi- uh, a violent attack against one's parents. This isn't talking about little kids, by the way. This isn't talking about a temper tantrum. This is talking about adults who go against their parents to physically harm them, and then verse 17, to curse them, to wish them dead, sort of like the prodigal son story. Give me my money, I'm out of here. In other words, I wish you were dead, I'm leaving. Verse 16, kidnapping a person and selling them. Clearly, that's the, that was the whole basis of slavery in America. That is punishable by death. It's, the, it's justice. It's upholding the low. It's bringing up the low. Justice for the unborn in 22 and 23. If a, if a woman loses her child due to violence, life for life. Verse 23, if there is harm, life for life. And then comes 24, We call it the lex talionis, the law of retribution, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Again, we, this grates against our sensibilities, and we see it as, as revenge. If we practice eye for eye, the whole world will be blind. Right? That's what everybody says. Listen. This, is not, this law is not meant to make a revengeful society. It's actually meant to curb revenge. The, it's, it's, a, it's a legal principle that we actually still follow. The punishment must fit the crime. Verse 28 through 32, we didn't read these out loud. It gets into oxen. And what do you do if, an, if my ox kills somebody? What, if I, what do I do? And, and again, you might, re, you might want to just skip over these and be like, okay, whatever, I don't own an ox. But the point is, image of God, man over beast. And then there's a, in chapter 22, there's a whole bunch of laws about stealing man over possessions. 
And really, this is actually, this is one of the only ancient law codes that doesn't require um, execution for theft. In Hammurabi's code, if you, in Hammurabi's code, if you steal something, you can be killed. In God's code, if you steal something, you pay it back five times or four times. Why, why does God say you don't have to kill thieves? Well, because that's an, that's, he's upholding the value of human life. We're not killing over everything, <laughs> but we are going to repay. We are going to repay. So again, this is not a perfect society. That's coming through Christ, but it is a just society. It's a, it's, it's a law that for this time and place lifted the people up. Number two. Number two, Christ fully restores the image of God and man through his just reign over us and in us. Christ restores fully the image of God in us. You see, these laws are a shadow. These laws are a shadow of what's to come. And the Old Testament knows that. The Old Testament knows that these laws will not bring true justice. They will fall short, not because the laws are bad, but because we need our hearts to be changed. And so the law prophesies a Messiah. Look at this language from Isaiah 42, the prophecy in Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant... That he, the, the servant in Isaiah is the Messiah, whom I uphold, this is God talking, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And then in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So the prophets prophesied that a Messiah would come who would bring justice. We need something more than the law. We need a Messiah. We need God's chosen one in order to make sure we're keeping this law. And of course, as Christians, we know that to be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's Messiah. Jesus Christ is God's justice, his salvation, his redemption, Jesus fulfills the law. He accomplishes the law. He achieves the law's intended purpose, justice, elevation of imago Dei, elevation of the poor, the needy, the oppressed. Jesus Christ, listen to me, listen to me, Jesus Christ will return, and he is going to rule this earth he is going to judge us in justice. He's going to judge us in righteousness. He is going to rule the earth, and he is going to establish a kingdom, a perfect kingdom. He will be our prince of peace, our prince of shalom, whereby he raises up all those who have ever been oppressed. He wipes away every tear. He makes everything right. He puts to shame all those that work against people, all those that work against righteousness and goodness. He makes all things new, doesn't he? 
Christian, that day is coming. Do you believe it? Oh, let me try this side. Do you believe it? Yeah. All right. you, guys, you guys weren't bad. I just, I just thought, you know, we'll give them a try too. Listen, this is what, this is what our hearts are holding on to, isn't it? This is, this is why when we see so much injustice around us, we don't lose hope. We, we work to thwart injustice, but we also know we're not Jesus. <laughs> we're not going to end all injustice on this planet, are we? We can work in our little corner of the garden. We can work in our little corner of the world. That is for sure. We can be the good Samaritan where the Lord allows us. But it's going to take the rule and reign of Jesus to end all injustice on this planet. So what about now? What about now? What's happening now in this age, in the church age? In this age, we have the Imago Dei in us as the person of Christ, Jesus Christ indwelling us. Paul will say that we have been justified, saved, restored, dignified, lifted up, honored, glorified. We have experienced it. We were down here, and Jesus reached down, and he pulled us up. Can you say amen to that? Have you experienced that? Have you personally experienced the justice of Jesus Christ, the restorative justice where he pulled you up? Maybe you were even kicking and screaming. <laughs> Come on, you're coming with me. Right? Praise God. Praise God. He has elevated us from slave to son, hasn't he? Look at verse 5 again. Let's go back to this strange verse. If the slave plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go free. You know who said that? Jesus. Jesus in heaven said, to the Father, I love my master. To his bride, I love my wife, the church. To you individually, I love my son, I love my daughter. I'm not going free. I'm taking on the form of a slave. I'm going from heaven to earth. Tack my ear to the door. Pierce me. Pierce me so that I may ransom my bride, save my son, and serve my God. That is what Jesus has said. And now, Christian, now human, let me say it this way, now human person, you can say the same thing. Have you said it? Have you said, I love my master Jesus, I will not go free. I will not go free. Tie my life to yours. Bind my life to yours, Jesus. I love him so much, I don't ever want to be free of Jesus. Pierce my ears. Pound my ear to the doorpost. I'm not going anywhere. Go free? Why would I leave such great mercy and kindness? Go free? Where would I go? Where would I go? 
to some other slave master who doesn't love me, whose demands upon me will destroy me rather than free me? Go free. No, no, Jesus is my greatest delight. He is my soul satisfaction. Go free. No, I want to live in his house forever. I want to dwell in the courts of the Lord forever. Even if I'm just a doorkeeper. That's what I want. Go free. No. Let me ask you this morning, have you had your ears bored by Christ? Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. His master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. But do you know what's happening? By making him his slave forever, he's saying, you are now in my household. You are now mine. You are like a son to me. Do you remember Abraham and Eliezer? A couple of us do. (laughs) Abraham had this slave named Eliezer, whom Abraham loved so much that at one point he said, God, you haven't given me a biological son, so I'm just giving it all to my slave. I'm just giving it to Eliezer. And if you read, if you read the relationship between those two men, they loved each other. Eliezer would do anything for Abraham. And Abraham was about to hand over his whole kingdom, all of his wealth, to Eliezer. But there was a son coming, wasn't there? There was a son coming a son of promise. And our son of promise, Jesus says, hey, hey, listen, I'm willing to share. (laughs) I'm the world's best sharer. And although I'm the son who deserves it all, and you're the slave, let let my father bore your ear to the doorpost and live with us forever. And guess what? I'm going to share it all with you. And so we return to him, like the prodigal, we return to him asking to be slaves. If only my father will just let me be a slave in his house. And the father looks at us and says, what? Are you mad? I'm not hiring. I'm adopting. Have you experienced that? Have you made that choice this morning? I know, it's a, I know it's a weird metaphor. Don't let that, don't let that get, get you lost. Listen, here's all I'm saying. Are you willing to, to stand up in front of the one who has already offered you his life? Are you willing to say to him, yes, now I offer you mine. <laughs> Tie us together. Knit us together. I want to be yours. Have you said that? Will you say it this morning? And when we have Christ, we have everything we need, don't we? When we have Christ, we have all that our hearts need. And so now, we don't need slavery. Slavery is replaced. When we have, when we have Christ in us, our ethic changes, our law changes. The law of Christ, the law of Sinai is replaced by the law of Christ, the law of love. So we don't enslave people, we replace it with Christ-like brotherhood. Paul says to Philemon, a slave owner, about his slave Onesimus, he says, take him back not as a bondservant, but as a brother. That's Christ's ethic. We don't enslave each other. We, see each, we don't see each other as master-servant, higher, lower. We see each other as brother-sister. 
Do you see it? We don't sell our daughters off. We allow them to live in Christ-like singleness with a mind set on heavenly things. Paul will say to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single. Marriage is not our highest good. Being married is not our security and our peace and our stability. Christ is. And so now the law of Christ allows us to encourage one another, not, not that we all have to get married, but that we all have to serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. Eye for eye, now eye for eye is replaced with Christ's commandment to turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, eye for eye, but I say to you, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, he's not negating eye for eye. He's saying the government still can do eye for eye. The crime, the punishment should still fit the crime, but in our individual lives, our relational lives with one another and with the world, the Christian now has the law of Christ in them, whereby I can take another slap. I can give countless second chances to the people who offend me. No vengeance, love for enemy. No cheap apologies. Leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled to your brother. We could go on and on. I could give you a dozen examples of how Christ in us changes our hearts. The law has been replaced with Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you believe that? Are you living from the law of Christ, the law of his love, knowing that you have been adopted into his home? He has brought you in. I love my master. Why would I go free? Why would I go free? Let's pray. Jesus, you have loved us first. You loved your, you loved your father and came to us as our servant, you took on the form of a slave, even to the point of death. And now in indwelling us, you serve us every day. You serve us every single day. Teach us, guide us, care for us, meet our needs, forgive us. It's, it's endless the way you serve us. Jesus, may our hearts find in that beautiful, grace, the power to love and serve you, and to do that by loving and serving our brothers and sisters and the world around us. May we live as those who are safe and secure in the household of God. Teach us who we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.